break. I like it. Good way to start the week. Dan and Amy, I was uh, watching the uh, Bears-Packers game and another Hall of Fame performance, Hall of Fame performance, I should say, from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so we outsource watching the Miss America pageant to Andrew Claven, Hollywood screenwriter and SAS, <laughs> author of The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. So uh, what did you think of uh, Nia Franklin's rendition of Quando Van Gogh from La Boheme? <laughs> Would you like to hear some of it? Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I went out to dinner. I uh, <laughs> missed the entire thing. Oh. So, I know. I'm a disappointment to you all. Right. But, uh, oh, so, so well, they replaced the swimsuit competition after 98 years, as you all know, with the talent competition, okay? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I may, that may be why I wasn't watching. Yeah. <laughs> that may actually explain why I wasn't watching. I I prefer the uh, discourse. I I like to learn things about climate change and and the like from watching those con- competitions, not pageants. It's not a they yeah. That's by the way, it's not a pageant. It's a competition. Yeah, no, I got it. Uh, all right. Speaking of things that are certifiable, uh, Andrew, uh, you live in California, and uh, Governor Moonbeam out there getting real aggressive. He must have been motivated by President Obama's remarks uh, on Friday at U of I. Uh, California is going to be completely fossil fuel free by 2045. So you better start writing and selling more books to pay your electric bill. Yeah, well, what I've been doing is I've been gathering sticks uh, so I can heat my home in the winter and, you know, just build a little fire in the middle of the floor. Uh, that'll help. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, state, the state is now living in its own imagination. Uh, we're, we're living in a world where we can somehow create enough electricity without fossil fuels, which, no, you know, it's, it is funny. No one has ever, no one seems to ever discuss where this energy is going to come from. It's going to come from the sun. It's going to come from wind. And yet, you know, there's no way to store that energy. So it's no way to use it in the, in the manner that we need it. Most uh, electricity comes from coal. People don't know that, you know, but that's still where it comes from. And it, it, is, it is odd that this, this state just continues to live at this level of fantasy that is being uh, supported by billionaires in Silicon Valley, some of the best capitalists in the country, who sit around talking about how we should all be socialists. So that's, you know, Hollywood is a capitalist uh, center, and they all sit around on the Bill Maher show talking about how we should all be socialists. And Silicon Valley expert capitalists, and they all sit around talking about how we should be socialists. So it's basically an entire, the state is just a, one big fantasy land. Well, I mean, the, the fun thing would be for them to be the change they wish to see, so wind turbines <laughs> and solar panels in their backyard. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, there's no, what, what could possibly go wrong, except sometimes the sun goes down. I, I, they call it night. <laughs> uh, we're trying to prevent it. Scientists are working around the clock to prevent it. Uh, but so far, no luck. Do you think that any of the, the Hollywood elite feel guilty because of their wealth? And they may be like, oh, let's spread things around because they can afford to do that, whereas the average working American, we can't afford I mean, what we make, we have to keep because we have children, you know, to take care of. It is, there is some kind of connection between the massive wealth that you get. I mean, in Hollywood, where I live, uh, if you are a guy who's never done anything for anybody, but you go on television and pretend to be a police officer, you can make a quarter of a million dollars a week, okay, Hmm. A, a week. If, if you are a police officer, you're making and you're risking your lives for people and you're putting your, your whole life on the line to keep people safe, you're making 60000 70000 bucks a year, okay? And I think maybe that disjunction does affect people's minds. It does make people think they have to sort of do something. They have to get out and, uh, uh, you know, 
make it up to people that they are uh, being overpaid the way they are. And plus, artists, I am an artist. We live in our imaginations, you know, and in the imagination, that's the place where socialism works. That's the place where environmentalism works. You know, your imagination is a wonderful, wonderful world. But some of us, even though we are artists, come out of our imaginations and start to say, well, wait, how does reality work? You know, what, what, is, what does socialism do in real life? What does, uh, you know, climate change panic and hysteria do in real life? And I just think it's just too easy. It is just too easy to stand up at an Oscar speech where you've been paid for reading somebody's lines convincingly and you get a prize for it. It's just too tempting to stand up there and make some heroic speech as if you had performed some action other than pretending to be someone. It used to be when actors came to town, people locked up their daughters. They understood that they were talented uh, people, but they also understood that they weren't very good citizens. And now we honor them and elevate them to such a level that, and yet they're still the same people they always were. You know, you still should lock up your daughters when the actors come to town. But we elevate them to such a level, they think they know more than they do. Uh, speaking of uh, culture and socialism, uh, the uh, bread and circuses of athletics, uh, your reaction to the Nike Kaepernick campaign and sort of the, you know, the rolling controversy in the NFL now that the season has kicked off about uh, kneelers and the flag and the like. You know, I have to say, I'm a, a huge football fan and I can cannot bring myself to watch an NFL football game as long as they are refusing to enforce their own rules about disrespecting the flag. And this is not just jingoism. It really isn't. Sports has always, everywhere, been a national pastime and a unifying event. You know, it has always been since ancient Greece. The sport, sports were meant to bring people together in a national way. And when you go out and you disrespect the flag, when you honor a second-rate guy, a second-rate guy like Colin Kaepernick, I mean, he was a second-rate quarterback, and the, the way he talks and the things he says about the country that has supported him, they're just, it's just not, um, it's not, he's not being a first-rate human being when he does that. When you put him as you, the face of your product and you stand by that, even if your sales go up, I don't care whether your sales go up or down, and when you kneel and you disrespect the flag, and when you make excuses for Serena Williams behaving badly on the court, which she's done all her career, you're really telling people, the people who are at home watching, that, that we are here for them instead of them being here for us. You know, they forget who pays them. They forget who pays their salary. They forget who's there to watch them. The, the NFL is, is failing only because of, the, of these behaviors. The NFL is losing audience only because of these behaviors. And on top of it, their behaviors are wrong. I mean... If you are if you're a person who, who thinks that you are oppressed in America, that the police are somehow uh, abusing you in your community or ab abusing uh, your community, you are appealing to me as your fellow American to care. You are saying to me, I'm not getting my American rights. For me to care, I have to know that you are my brother American. We can disagree. We can look at things differently. But we've got to be united, at least in that, that we are both Americans and that we both stand by those values. When you when you disrespect the flag, you're basically saying to me, screw you, screw your country, and I'm going to say the same thing back to you. I'm going to say I don't care what your problems are. You're not one of me. You're not one of mine. You're not a fellow American. What do I need? Why should I support you? So it's divisive in every possible way. I think they hurt themselves. I really do. And it's a shame because I love watching football, but I cannot watch these millionaire sports players you know, disrespect the country that makes them what they are.
You didn't watch any football this weekend? Yeah, I Come on. You know, I, I tried yeah. to. I turned it on, the, the, the Chargers game. And I wow, thought, I that's tough it. to watch. That's just tough to watch, period. It's supposed to be good this year. <laughs> <laughs> but how long and did it, you, you last? Know, it really is a shame. I love the sport. Uh, I wanted to get your take on uh, something that uh, Nebraska Senator Ben Sass said over the weekend uh, about uh, he considers leaving the Republican Party daily because he's sick of the uh, soap opera uh, that is occurring within the Trump administration from his perspective. And also David French over at National Review wrote this. I'm particularly interested to get your response since you're the author of The Great Good Thing, A Secular View Comes to Faith in Christ. David French writing, I'm no, I no longer consider myself a Republican. I'm a Christian and a conservative who evaluates each race on the merits, and I'm happy to vote third party when appropriate. The R by a name no longer indicates that the candidate likely shares my values or political goals. Uh, that's long been the case in Illinois for me, but I wonder what your response is to Sass and French. Well, uh, David uh, French, is a, I know David. He's a good guy, good man, and I've disagreed with him ever since the election of Trump. Uh, you know, again, we don't live in our imaginations. We live in reality. In reality, there are two parties. One party is closer to moving toward constitutional liberty. The other one is dedicated to moving away from it. There's no question in my mind anymore that the left, the Democrats, are no longer responsible to the Constitution and to the vision of America, where people are free, where people govern themselves. So you really don't have that much of a choice, you know. And I think that the people, the commentariat, and the people in the Beltway and the people who are wrapped up in politics are losing sight of the goals here. The President Trump, you know, an obstreperous guy, a guy I have a lot of problems with, a guy I don't always like, his administration is doing a great job. Now, maybe it's being run by some anonymous, unelected New York Times op-ed writer. I don't think so. I don't think so. The things that have come out of this administration are exactly the things President Trump promised when he was running. So somewhere along the line, he is the generator and engine of the change that we are seeing in this country. And the change has been amazing. I mean, when you have jobs being you know, created so rapidly that wages finally, finally are starting to rise, when you have us largely pulled out of all the entangling wars we were in, all these things are beautiful things, and we're supposed to miss them. We're supposed to be worried because he has a uh, chaotic governing style or that he's a mean guy. I'm not John Kelly. I don't have to worry about it. John Kelly has a hard time going to work in the morning. That's not my problem. You know, I have people to support. I have a job to do. I have a life to live. So this idea that somehow the rest of us are, are supposed to become hysterical over Trump's governing style is absurd. And, you know, Bob Woodward, you know, good reporter, he can go out there and tell me that the world is going to explode because of a tweet, which is essentially what he's been saying to sell his book. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't see the world exploding. I see the world getting more peaceful. I see our, our economy booming. I see judges being appointed who are dedicated to the Constitution. I see regulations being dialed back. I see factory jobs that weren't supposed to ever come back coming back. So... I just don't care, I, and I, think, I, I don't think any of us should care if President Trump is an obstreperous loudmouth, which he obviously is. I mean, I, I don't understand uh, outside the beltway, outside the fever swamp of, of Washington and the commentariat, why that's the problem. So to, to David French at this point, I would just say, look, we play the cards we're dealt. You know, I, I wish we were voting for Abe Lincoln, too. We're not. I wish we had a choice. You, you know, 
when they make when the Democrats make fun of us for voting for Donald Trump, I always remind them who he was running against. He was running against Ma Barker, you know, he wasn't running <laughs> against George Washington. So, so I mean, you know, we play the cards we're dealt, and that's the way I feel about uh, David French. As for Sass, Sass made one of the greatest speeches, two-minute speeches I ever heard uh, during the Kavanaugh hearings yeah. about how we have to get back to uh, the Constitution and how we have to get back to schoolhouse rock, basic learning about how the government's supposed to work. He is absolutely right about this. And I understand his feelings, but he should step back too and ask himself, what are the results of his actions? What are the results of his actions? The, the, there are only two operational parties, and the other party is becoming increasingly socialist, increasingly dedicated to silencing the opposition in every venue they can. They are opposed to the Second Amendment. They're opposed to the First Amendment. Where is he going to go? If he's not a Republican, what is he going to be? Now, you can argue that there should be a third party and go ahead and try it. I'd be happy to you know, see it happen. But right now, the only thing he can do by leaving the party is hurting, is hurt the country. And so if those are, you know, you've got to play the cards you're dealt. You really do. You have to live in reality. And I think these guys are living, again, in their imaginations of what reality can be. And I do not think that that's a very good idea right now. Real quick before we let you go, what do you think of President Trump's hunt for the op-ed author? Uh, I, oh, oh, kind of a waste of time. The guy's probably a low-level State Department toady. Uh, the, the line in the op-ed about uh, John McCain and worshiping John McCain was kind of a giveaway. I don't, I don't think he's a very important person. I think, I think it's very possible that Trump could get obsessed with something like that. He strikes me as the kind of person who might get obsessed with it. But really, who cares? I mean, there are always these guys. There are always underlings who think they run the place. In every big organization, there's some guy who thinks, you know, without me, this place couldn't operate. I'm the guy who's really doing it. I think it's just, you know, uh, it's just a ruse by the New York Times and the rest of the left to make us panic about a great time in American history. There should have been two years of peace and prosperity, and they just want to make sure that they keep the panic level high, especially going into the midterms. He is Andrew Clavin. You can catch a daily podcast uh, at The Daily Wire, The Andrew Clavin Show. Uh, also, a number of books uh, that were made into motion pictures, True Crime, Don't Say a Word, and uh, his most recent offering, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. Andrew, thanks as always for, for uh, joining us. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro 